0: Hey everyone, this is Laz Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and we are talking about your thirty-one and thirty-one Detroit Pistons. Uh, this episode's going to be a little bit different. Uh, Ben's out tonight, being a good dad, like we all know he is. So it's just me and your Twitter questions tonight. Uh, but first, the Pistons are back at five hundred, going three and one on the week. Uh, they had a big win tonight over the Kawhi Leonard-less Toronto Raptors. Reggie Jackson was huge in the clutch. He had 19 points, 3 rebounds, and 4 assists. Blake Griffin really carried the team in the first half when they were struggling. Uh, he finished with 27-7. and seven. And uh, Luke Kennard threw in 19 uh, points and 5 assists off the bench for good measure. And uh, the story of the night was the dominance of Andre Drummond uh, when he got to be on the court. Uh, Andre had 15-17 and 17 and was a staggering uh, plus 27. In a game that was only you know you know a single digit margin, which tells you kind of everything you need to know. But of course, the the reason he got to be plus 27 was because he played so few minutes, uh, because of the way he was officiated, and that's one of the that's one of the minor stories of this game, the officiating. I don't want to take away from how well the Pistons played, uh, but the officiating was poor on on both sides. It did not. Advantage either team in uh, in any real meaningful way. It was just bad. You know, I'm not I'm not the kind of guy who likes to complain about the officiating. There are other people on Pistons Twitter you can follow if you like really want to complain about the officiating. Shout out to uh, Helbridius, but uh, yeah, it wasn't great. It wasn't great. Um, Anthony Doyle of Raptors Republican on Twitter in particular was uh was complaining about a call that Danny Green didn't get. Uh, for the Raptors uh, Zaza Pachulia actually got ejected in the second half for I think for bumping an official we didn't see the bump on uh, on the feed but uh, that was what was reported on Twitter and you know usually you just get one tech, but he got straight ejected which is usually a sign that like something happened but like it, that was on a really bad call uh, it was just the officiating was not good for for either side tonight but what was good was the way that the pistons and andre drummond in particular played uh within themselves despite the the really poor officiating andre picked up three uh, quick fouls in the first half he picked up his fourth foul i believe uh like in the first 30 seconds of the third quarter and uh, he picked up his fifth foul you know pretty late in the third, if I recall cor- correctly, and so he played, you know, the rest of the game with five fouls uh, through an overtime period, and, you know, managed to do a great job of playing within himself. Toronto was trying to attack him, trying to get him his fifth foul. Uh, every possession in overtime started with uh, a Gasol in the high post, uh, just banging him a couple times, seeing if they would call his sixth, and I was like, okay, no, and then they gave the ball to Kyle Lowry, and Kyle Lowry scored a bunch of points. But, you know, it, none of that matters because, because the Pistons won. Uh, uh, Andre's play was shades of the uh, quadruple overtime game against Chicago a couple years ago, where he also picked up uh, five fouls in regulation and played, you know, four more overtimes <laughs> without picking up a sixth. With Chicago doing, you know, similar things, everything they could uh, to get him to pick to foul out of the game. But uh, yeah, it was a huge win for the Pistons. Uh, Toronto is obviously a, a great team at near the top of the East, without their best player, but still a very competitive team. Um, I it's like I you don't get to see Pascal Siakam every night, but like that guy has like really blossomed into something, and like you, I really get the the Pascal Siakam hype uh, after watching tonight's game. But we're not really going to talk about Pascal Siakam for another fifty minutes. We're going to talk about what you guys want to talk about so i put a call out for twitter questions uh prior during and after the game and we're going to read out a bunch of them and i'm going to talk i'm going to go and so thank you to everyone who uh did that everyone who responded to the call i really appreciate it um i could it's much easier for me to sit here and uh, pontificate if i have stuff to go off of so let's let's go off All right, the first Twitter question is from Dustin Whitehead at DWhitehead96. Thank you, Dustin. If the Pistons play the Pacers in the playoffs, what percent chance do you guys give them of winning the series? This is a good question, Dustin. This is something that um, I think a lot of Pistons fans are really curious about because Indiana is without Victor Oladipo. Uh, We've seen the Pistons already beat the Pacers this week in a game that was close but the pistons uh controlled for the entirety of give or take the entirety of the game and so you you feel better obviously about the pistons chances against indiana than you do against uh, teams that are above them in the standings um right now with that said though indiana is a really good team They're a very solid team. I'm assuming that they would have DeMontis Sabonis back. I think he's currently out with an ankle injury. he sustained against the Pistons. Um, You would be uh, surprised because it it doesn't feel like it happens against the Pistons all that much, but Miles Turner has formed himself into a legitimate Defensive Player of the Year candidate. Um, The Pacers are just really solid, uh, like eight or nine deep, and uh, I think that... That matters a lot in the playoffs, even with the shorter rotations, even with um, the reliance more on on star players, because uh, having the ability to be uh, competent uh, across the board, having having very few weaknesses, I think is something that's that's uh, underplayed as a a playoff strength. And so personally, me, I would give the Pistons, I don't know, like 25 percent chance. Of winning that series and i feel like that's that's a good number like i would i would take that number I, i'm not a huge gambler but uh you know if the if you gave me like better than six to one odds like you know i'd, I'd probably put some money on the pistons uh <laughs> don't quote me on that though uh, thanks for the question dustin all right the next question we have is from tony merlo uh, so i get that his defense is strong but i can't remember the last time i saw bruce Brown score Uh, What do you think the team is hoping to get out of him offensively? Uh, Thank you for the question, Tony. Um, I think that what the team is looking for Bruce Brown to do at this point in his career is make the open shots that teams give him at a respectable clip. It's something he was doing earlier in the season, particularly from the the corners. That's fallen off a little bit. And I think they want him to uh, attack bad closeouts and create shots at the rim. Um, uses athleticism uses really good first first step and uh, create layups like that Uh, this is something that uh, but you're not wrong in that bruce brown has struggled a lot uh, offensively but the the reason he's in the starting lineup is because of his defense like casey has said this multiple times he loves the, the energy and and uh the feel that bruce brown brings to the starting lineup and we've also seen that you know um, we're going to get to some future questions about Luke Kennard, but uh, Luke Kennard and Bruce Brown are very different players. And I think there's an ideal that like Luke should be starting because he's better than Bruce, which is true. But I think Luke's skill set, the ability to create um, his own looks, which is burgeoning, but you know getting there, and the ability uh, to be a, a knockdown shooter is something that's more needed uh, with the bench lineup than with the starters. I think the starters uh, have offense pretty covered. And what they need is a guy who's willing to go out there and hustle and scrap and play defense. And that's what Bruce Brown does. And so uh, eventually in the future, I think that they'll they'll want Bruce Brown to be a little bit better um, in isolation. They'll want him to finish better at the rim. Uh, they'll obviously want him to be a better spot-up shooter. That's something I definitely think that they'll work on uh, first with him that's this season. His shot does not... Uh, look super broken to me, but uh, the results are often ugly. And so I think there are probably like some small mechanical things you could do with him to get his shot in a better place uh, in, a, in an off season or two. Thank you for the question again, Tony. Uh, next question is from uh, Aaron Johnson. Aaron, of course, is uh, from Palace of Pistons. What's up, Aaron? Uh, if one wing were to take Langston Galloway's minutes, who should it be? Oh, man, this is Aaron, you're, you're hitting my my funny bone, man. Uh, I've been, you guys, you guys know, I've been super frustrated with Langston Galloway for the bulk of this season and, like, maybe his entire Pistons career. So I am all ready to get him up out of the rotation. Uh, let's list the likely candidates. Uh, Kyrie Thomas, Glenn Robinson III, um, Svee Mikhailuk, uh can probably take in the the bronze medal there and i think uh in a playoff setting it might even be just like more bruce brown minutes more like uh you shorten the rotation you just f- two of blue uh bruce luke and wayne are on the floor at all times um but i think right now for the regular season uh, i would personally like to see Kyrie thomas take those minutes um you see, you see why Kyrie doesn't play occasionally. Um, Vince Ellis at the uh, at the Free Press had a good uh, like nugget about this in one of his pieces this week about how uh, like fans were clamoring for Kyrie to play, and Kyrie you know looks well and practices well, but uh, when he got out there like a couple times, like Reggie Jackson had to like you know push him into the right place on offense because he you know was kind of lost, and then um, you know whenever the last time he was in the game, he was getting burned on, on defense. And so, you know, if he's in there to to defend and and make open shots and he's in the wrong place and he's not defending the way you'd like, uh, you see why he doesn't play. You know, I I hear what you're saying. It's like, well, Bruce Brown kind of doesn't defend and doesn't hit open shots. Why is he playing? And like the answer is like Casey likes him better. Like that's that's the answer. Like I I got nothing else for you. I don't know if that's fair, but I, I can you can pretty like safely say like that's what it is at this point. The way that they've – so Glenn Robinson the third has, like, started to sneak his way back into the lineup. He played against Cleveland a bunch because they won the Cleveland game by a bunch and they emptied the bench and everyone got to play. Uh, and you also saw the Pistons kind of turn to him uh, in the wake of a bunch of the foul trouble and, and Zaza getting ejected uh, tonight against the Raptors. And But they're leveraging him more as, like, a, a larger wing, as, like, a smaller four. It, kind of the role they had carved out for Stanley Johnson, if you recall, uh, earlier this season. And he's looked, you know, not atrocious in, in that role. He, he had some nice energy plays today. Um, he made, he had a really nice closeout that I noticed on uh, Siakam. He kept his feet, made, uh, made Siakam, uh, you know, stop, not, you know, didn't give him any room to take the shot, didn't jump, kept his feet. That was really big. He also had a nice, he had a nice defensive play against Cleveland. I noticed um, where he got he got caught a little bit napping, but uh, recovered really nicely and uh, made. I think it was David Nwaba. I don't remember uh, off the top of my head. But he made uh, somebody on the Cavs like take a very uh, contested shot after uh, you know putting himself in a bad position in the first place. And I think as Glenn Robinson III um, shows those flashes of uh, defensive competence uh the coaching staff will begin to trust him uh more and more and like maybe we'll see him take galloway's minutes but uh yeah langston galloway needs his minutes taken and that it's, it's kind of hurts to say this because like langston by all accounts is a cool dude he's uh like you see him and his wife on instagram all the time he supports his wife's business he's got the cool shoes he's got like a kid he helps out um kids in Baton Rouge where he's from like Langston is like a genuinely like good human being but like man that dude just like misses a bunch of open shots and it kills me thanks for the question Aaron all right the next question is from Detroit Pistons UK uh do we re-sign Reggie Jackson and and what value this is a good this is a good question because as Reggie Jackson has made his uh offensive resurgence in the last uh, five or six weeks or so um, you see how important he is or how important a, a, guy who can create his own shot is for the Pistons. Somebody who can take the offensive load off of Blake Griffin, off of the other guys and somebody who you can like in the clutch tonight, uh, just give the ball and tell to get his own shot. Like sometimes you do get the possession that, uh, Proceeded overtime, where there was a shot clock violation, and Reggie, you know, turned the ball over basically because uh, he didn't get a shot up. But like that is that is the power and the peril of Reggie Jackson, right? Like that is that is who he is. You knew who what he was when uh, when you brought him in, and so I think that there is definitely like a space for Reggie, but it is definitely not at the number that he's at right now. If I remember correctly and if you can ignore the clicking going on in the background i can actually like pull this up for you guys um we're scanning we're scanning this is terrible podcasting i'm pulling up my my salary cap sheet um just you know a little inside baseball on the uh, on the podcast so reggie jackson is due 18 basically 18.1 million uh next year and that's the final year of the five-year uh, extension he signed after his after he was traded to detroit um i he would definitely if the pistons were to bring him back he would definitely be lower than that number that number is uh like the equivalent basically of like an all-star level uh, point guard i be, uh, that's like that's close to what eric bledsoe is getting now and he just signed a a five-year extension to stay with the bucks and like he's in the high teens per year i think if i remember correctly and so uh, Reggie definitely like would not be getting that much. I think that uh, if you were able to, if you think of him as a starting point guard, you uh, you offer him starting point guard money, and right now that looks to be in somewhere in the neighborhood of like 11 to 13 million dollars a year, and so uh, if the Pistons were to bring Reggie Jackson back, it would you would think of it. On like a like three year thirty five million dollar deal, and like that's not that's not a bad deal for Reggie. Absolutely, um, that's maybe a bad deal for a guy with Reggie's injury history. But if you are confident that you can keep him healthy, and he continues to play the way he's played over the last uh, month or so for an entire season while being healthy uh, around Blake and Andre, I don't think that would be a, a bad contract. Uh, to give to a guy with Reggie's skill set and you know if, if he doesn't give that contract you are going to need to give uh, that a deal like that uh, to another guy or you're going to need to draft a point guard or something and so I think that you know three years 35 million is where I'm kind of coming down on uh, re-signing Reggie Jackson thanks for the question uh, Pistons Group uh, UK alright uh, now we've got uh, Quint. Uh, L-O-Q-U-E-N-T on Twitter. Uh, Remember when Kennard's rookie class voted him best shooter? Only took a little over a season and a half to prove them right. If this play sticks, what other parts of his game do you expect for him to improve upon? Uh, Thanks, Loquent, for the question. I really appreciate it. So I think the obvious next step for Luke Kennard is to uh, improve his ball handling ability to the point where he can... uh, kind of craft his way, snake dribble his way into, like, the uh, 8 to 10-foot range and then kill defenses from there with his passing and his ability to, like, shoot floaters and stuff with either hand. Um, That's something he's definitely, like, getting better at. You see him now, like, in his role off the bench, he is asked to be a, like, shot creator. He is asked to create shots for himself and others. And what you see him do now is you'll see them uh, give him a pick he'll start off dribbling to his right and then he'll snake back left get back to his dominant hand get back into the paint or you know start move to his left take a step back uh take another like, take a pull-up jumper from like the from like 15 to 17 feet and if he's open if the bigs are are dropping off of him to try and uh contain his drive like you know in in the way traditionally like uh defense is played in the nba now is to like not give guys points in the paint like he is an absolute knockdown, uh, mid range shooter. And so like, if you're giving him those 15 to 17 foot shots, he can, he can absolutely make them. But, uh, the next step for him will be to get into that eight to 10 foot range where like the big kind of feels him. And then, you know, kicking out to other open shooters. That's as the defense collapses, um, getting the ball back to the big, whether that's Zaza or Andre or like a future, uh, pistons big man uh so they can finish in uh, in the short role that's uh being able to uh you see him do like the weird uh pivots because and because he's a lefty like guys kind of always this is the thing where you always like forget that a guy is left-handed and, like in the heat of the moment and so you see guys like let him like pivot left uh in order to shoot and they're like oh wait crap that's his that's a strong hand and then or you'll see him like you know basically like do a reverse pivot and, and try and finish with the right and that catches guys off guard because you know who who reverse pivots with name like name like another guard that like tries to like reverse pivot at like eight feet and in and like try and finish with the offhand like you very few guards in the nba like play that way and so as he gets better as he improves as he I think for now I would be very happy if Luke just continued to play the way he's been playing over the last like two weeks or so. If, if you could count on Luke, you know, going, uh, three of five from three and scoring like 15 points off the bench every night. Like that is absolutely perfect. Like that's great. Anything better than that is fantastic. And he's been doing better than that as of late. But, uh, you know, something like that is, is really all you need. Uh, with the way that the rest of the team has been playing of late. Thanks again for the question, uh, Loquent. All right, our next question is from at Mark Faust, Mystery Team. Uh, Ish wasn't dealt at the deadline like Bullock. Any chance he is back next year? He and Luke look good together on the second unit. Uh, That's a a good question. Um, I think that, so I've not always been the biggest fan of uh, Ish Smith, not necessarily because I didn't like his game or because uh, I thought he wasn't an effective point guard. He's been an effective backup point guard uh, throughout the entirety of his time uh, in Detroit. But uh, for me, his weaknesses were always really apparent. Um, He has transformed himself into a guy who's willing to take and make three-point shots, but that was not true for the previous uh, two years of his contract. And so you would see defenses play off of him a lot. Um, there was something that was really apparent when he was a starter, and um, because of Reggie Jackson's injury, when he would start, uh, defenses would like really play off of him, and that would kind of gum up the uh, the offense for for the rest of the team. Uh, I just remember, like especially last year, after Blake got here, um, and they were like trying to get Ish to take more threes. And the way the defenses could just uh, sag off of Ish, sag off of Stanley, and kind of just, like, keep a guy in the paint to, to seal off Andre, essentially. That just, like, really congested the area in which, like, Blake had to move. And Blake wasn't shooting as many threes as he was last year, or this year, last year. And so, uh, for, for me, I w- I've always been looking at uh, potential upgrades to that backup point guard slot. Um, I've mentioned DJ, DJ Augustine a bunch of times uh, as a guy, I think, who could fill that role. Um, DJ's having a really good year at Orlando. They may they probably bring him back uh, despite to back up Markel Fultz or to play in front of Markel Fultz. Um, but he's been really good for them, and so I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Augustine uh, doesn't become available. Or, yeah, does not become available. Um, another guy that I have my eye on at backup point guard is Darren Collison. Um, Darren Collison currently plays for the Indiana Pacers. He's just like a very very solid, uh, like low to mid low tier starting point guard in the NBA. Uh, good shooter. He shot over 40% from three the last two years, if I remember correctly. And uh, you know can play with pace, can play in the half court, uh, can create his own shot. And so, uh, like, that's a guy, and he's an unrestricted free agent this year. Uh, If they don't bring back Ish, that's a guy I would be heavily interested in bringing in. Uh, I think he would have interest for uh, a bunch of other teams. I think Indiana would probably still uh, love to have him back if they could. But, uh, like, that's a guy I'm interested in. Uh, Corey Joseph, I think, is an unrestricted free agent this year as well. He's another point guard for the Pacers. Um, A little bit more defensive-orientated, a little bit more of, like, a three and D guy, but has the ball handling chops and uh, more size than, uh, than like a Langston for, for example. And so uh, I think there's a decent chance that ish is back next year. Um, I think that the coaching staff really likes the change of pace that ish brings, which is like the thing that you've uh, always heard coaches like say about ish is the, the pace he brings and the, the, the ability to get the ball up and down the court just really adds a nice element to a bench unit. But my criteria for a backup and, and third string point guard for this Pistons team has always been like, can you start 30 games, 20 games, 15 games if Reggie Jackson goes down? And we have seen enough throughout his Pistons tenure that I don't feel comfortable like assigning Ish Smith uh, that duty. Like that doesn't mean like when when Ish missed a bunch of time this year and we had Jose Calderon, like that wasn't good either. Like don't get me wrong. Like I'm not saying Ish is bad. I'm saying like Ish is probably best use as his his best use in the NBA has proven to be as a change of pace uh backup point guard and the Pistons need uh a a guy who can potentially come in and start if something happens to Reggie Jackson. And so i think that uh i think there's a chance ish comes back um if he comes back i think he'll come back at a similar number to what he's at right now this is the last year of his deal he made uh he makes six million a year that maybe is a little a little bit low maybe he could ask for somewhere in the neighborhood of like seven or eight but uh yeah i think that yeah i yeah i think there's a chance ish is back but i also think there's a chance you could upgrade um from what ish brings thanks for the question uh, mark all right the next question is from uh hashtag pg better uh, ak98 underscore NDA nba uh that's alex kungu of celtics blog and the Stepian. what's up uh, alex hey Laz. first time caller long time listener just wanted to know how much real estate the pistons have in the raptors mind i'll hang up and listen thanks for the question alex I honestly don't think the Pistons own any real estate <laughs> in the Raptors' minds. Uh, the Pistons have played the Raptors really tough twice this year, and they've been uh, fortunate to come out with wins both times. Uh, however, the <laughs> classically, the, the Raptors have not uh, been much have been a very afraid of the Pistons. There's, like, w- William Liu of, uh, oh, God, I don't know. I forget what outlet Will works for. Sorry, Will. But uh, he had, he had like, a, a video of all the Raptors who have dunked on Andre Drummond over the years, starting with that one time that, like, James Johnson, like, absolutely, like, almost killed him. And, like, going back to, like, OG and Anobi. DeMar DeRozan had that one dunk on Anthony Tolliver uh, in overtime of that game last year. It's just like like, uh, (laughs) nothing the uh, the Raptors have done like over the past three years indicates that like they have any fear of what the Detroit Pistons bring to uh, to them, which is which is good. I think that it inspires uh, and it keeps the rivalry burning. The other thing that keeps the rivalry burning, of course, is the busloads of Toronto fans who uh, go home sad. Uh, from Little Caesars Arena, after uh, taking the what like two-hour-long bus trip to Toronto for the cheaper tickets and the uh, turning turning LCA into like a, a half-home, half-away game for the Pistons, that is super frustrating. I hate that so much. Get on that, uh, Pistons fans! Like if you see Toronto on the schedule, like buy some tickets, man! Like God, don't let them do this. <laughs> don't let them. Don't let them punk us like this. My God. Uh, you're talking about this on Twitter during the game, like yo, like how can, I mean, like I understand, like yo, secondary mark you don't know who you're selling to, but like yo, they're they have busloads of people, come on, y'all, like you, you gonna really let those punk them like that, like what, ugh, anyway, so uh, as a, like a natural extension of that, you think about a Pistons Raptors playoff series, uh, obviously the the Pistons would be uh, not they wouldn't be favored in such a series. Um, Kawhi Leonard would probably play in all of the games. And, you know, with the Pistons' uh, lack of size on the wing, that would probably make a large difference. Um, Jeremy Lin probably isn't going to play as terribly every game either. (laughs) And so, like, that would probably make a difference in the series. But uh, I think think we've seen that uh, over the last couple weeks, uh, the Pistons have elevated themselves from like a team that would be lucky to make the playoffs to a team that we can like reasonably expect if they play like this to take a series to six to win a couple games at home. Um, we know Toronto has a, a long and prodigious history of uh, losing <laughs> game ones in the, in the first in the first round. <laughs> and so like, maybe maybe you could sneak one out. Uh, there's obviously a rivalry uh regarding Dwayne Casey, the former coach of the Raptors, who, you know, kind of shepherded them into relevance and then was uh summarily fired for the crime of um being in the same conference as LeBron James. Uh a, a crime that, you know, other Western conference teams appear to be uh not as phased by, but that's that's not a story for the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. Uh but anyway, uh I think that the uh <laughs> The Pistons don't have, uh, they have like a, they don't have like an expensive condo in, in downtown Toronto of the Raptors mine. They have like, uh, one of those like, affordable, like affordable housing units. Not like a project though, like a nice affordable housing unit. It's got like tables and chairs from Ikea and stuff, but like, that's it. It's not like a high rise or anything. Thanks for the question, Alex. Uh, I hope your Celtics figure some stuff out, man. Kyrie uh, seems pretty unhappy. All right, the next question is from Going Bad uh, at underscore Dr. King's Dream. Uh, best potential playoff matchup and most likely potential playoff matchup? So I think the best potential playoff matchup for the Pistons is, in fact, the Indiana Pacers. Uh, we talked about this a little bit earlier. I'd give them like a 25% chance um that's better than i would give them against the likes of philadelphia who has thoroughly kicked the pistons butt every time this season because the referees don't know what to do with joel embiid um and joel embiid is very talented and gets under the skin and into the mind of andre drummond i do not want to watch that for uh 6 games that sounds like my own personal definition of hell um Philly fans are also pretty obnoxious, and so having them be at you on Twitter would, would not be fun. I would not prefer that. Um, Boston. Boston, I think, would be an interesting matchup. Andre has traditionally uh, done a great job of uh, doing what he does against Al Horford. Uh, Al Horford also has a long and storied tradition of not being like a great rebounder in the playoffs. And so like I think... That with the squad the uh, Celtics have currently assembled, there are like some weaknesses uh, that the Pistons could leverage with their bigs. But uh, and, and the Celtics aren't playing well right now. But uh, I personally am terrified of seeing Kyrie Irving in a playoff series. I remember what he did the last time he played the Pistons in the playoffs. I do not want to. Uh, I do not want to repeat those memories. Uh, game three still haunts me uh, a little bit. Uh, the other teams would be the Toronto Raptors. We we just talked about them. Um, the Pistons, I think, would play them pretty tough. But uh, Kawhi, having Kawhi Leonard and the Pistons' inability to have anybody would, who really uh, could defend Kawhi Leonard would, would make a large difference in that series. Um, and the other team is uh, Milwaukee. And we've seen, <laughs> oh my God, we've seen what Milwaukee has done to the Pistons uh, every single time. They've they've played them this year. Uh, they think this is the first time that in the two teams' history that the Bucks have swept the season series uh, with the Pistons. Um, Giannis is a legitimate MVP candidate, and the the only like I think what like three of the four games the Bucks have played against the Pistons this year were like over by the third quarter. I remember Blake. One game, Blake had 30 points in three quarters and it just like did not matter because the, the rest of the bucks were just demolishing the Pistons. And so if you're ranking them from uh, from best to worst, I think it's uh, it's the worst matchup would be Milwaukee, uh, followed by Toronto, uh, followed by Philly, and then Boston and then Indiana. I think there's there's your ranking. As far as most likely playoff matchup, that is trickier. Uh, I don't know if you saw, but the Orlando Magic lost to the Cleveland Cavaliers this afternoon that kinda I think I think with the Hornets loss to the Trailblazers that keeps the Hornets uh out of the playoffs and keeps the Magic in the eight seed. But uh it is not the Pistons are with the Pistons win over the Raptors today, they've established they have sixth place. Um I think they could they could finish Uh, they could finish as high as sixth, I think. I don't think they can catch Boston at five. Um, That would be really tough. They're playing very well, but I have faith that Boston turns it around and uh, is not the team that they've shown themselves to be the last couple weeks. And so if they stay six or seven, uh, the most likely matchup is, I I think Philly overtakes Indianapolis. And so their most likely matchups are uh, Toronto and Philly, Um, two of the teams in kind of the middle. Uh, And if you offered me a choice, I would rather play Toronto than Philly. Um, I really, I really, really, really do not want to see Philly uh, in the playoffs. What I really want is for Philly and Toronto to end up, or Philly and Boston end up in the 4-5, and uh, we can do that again. That That was a fun playoff series last year. I would like to see more of that philly and boston fans really get uh under each other's skins uh shout out to the infamous shoot a three you coward uh meme and so uh one team most likely playoff matchup toronto uh toronto right now outside pistons finish seventh and they play toronto in the two seven thanks for the question uh going bad all right Last but not least, uh, mystery team, um, another one from Mark Faust, and wants to talk about Thon. uh, Basically, keeping Dre and Blake from uh, overexerting themselves during games, keeping the minutes down. Um, I (laughs) Thon is Thon is so funny to me because Thon is like so not amazing at basketball, (laughs) but. Uh, He's such a – he fits – he is capable – he's more capable than Stanley Johnson of being the role player the Pistons need him to be. Um, He's capable of making uh, open threes. You have to guard him out there. He's capable – i don't know stanley was probably capable of finishing in in the short role and creating out of the short role i can hear i can basically hear uh hal's tweets on like how the pistons were using stanley johnson's it rock incorrectly like in the back of my mind right now so i'm keeping i'm keeping you in mind hal i swear but you know thons play better and thons fit into the role better um he but at the same time like you clearly see the frustrations and uh and, and problems Thon has, um, he he has the same kind of lobster claw hands that Aaron Baines did. Um, There's a there was a moment today where Blake threw him a lob, and he just like he didn't he didn't jump for it, even though like normally like you would you would see a guy jump for it. He like he brought it down, but he struggled to bring it down, and then he kind of uh, went up and tried to draw the foul and, and didn't get the call. And it's like oh that like that's that's two easy points that we don't get because Don can't catch um you also see moments where he tries to uh do too much um you'll see him like try and face up guys occasionally uh you'll see him like try and uh, make like the sweeping crossover move that uh he was infamous for in his ball is life mixtape and stuff overall like i really i really like the the energy thon brings i like the the skill set he brings uh, i like the length he brings uh, defensively uh, he scares the crap out of people on the perimeter with his length because he can block shots uh, on the perimeter if he if he gets his hands on them um i've talked about this on the podcast with ben before but like in particular uh, next to andre drummond who covers the whole of his uh, rebounding deficiencies and could really use another guy on the perimeter who uh, scares the crap out of people. Um, I really like the the Thon uh, Andre pairing. Um, let Thon like uh, roam around with his arms out, um, causing a lot of havoc, and then let Andre just like swoop in and grab the rebound. Basically, is the thought process behind that. All right, that was the last question. Thanks for the questions, everyone. Uh, I guess I should talk about what the Pistons are going to do uh, in this upcoming week uh, forgive me we're going to do some more like uh, just podcast moments with, uh, with Laz uh, so the Pistons play the Minnesota Timberwolves at home uh, on Wednesday on Wednesday and they play Chicago uh, in Chicago on Friday and then uh, Chicago at home on Sunday uh, Chicago is a. Chicago has the record of a bad team, but like they've been playing a lot better of late. Um, they played the Hawks to quadruple overtime this weekend, when um, in, in a game that I think Trey. I didn't see any of because I was out. Uh, you know, you know, being a good husband with my wife going to a taco place, but uh, apparently like Trey Young and Zach Levine just had like a duel. For like three overtimes, three or four overtimes, like that's that sounded fun, um, but the the Bulls are kind of scary, man. The they have a good front court of the future. Um, they traded for Otto Porter, who's just like a really capable small forward who papers over a lot of the gaps that they had as a team. Um, Chris Dunn is still underwhelming as as a point guard prospect, but not a bad not a bad NBA player, just a, a flawed one. Um, Zach Levine has really improved his offensive game. Uh, I wonder if he's still like the the bad defensive player he he was earlier in the season. Um, And the first time the Pistons played them this year, they did not have Laurie Markkinen. And Laurie Markkinen is really, really good. Uh, Look up Laurie Markkinen's numbers, you guys. Um, Finish killer. I think he's finish. Yeah, because they renamed him the, the finisher. And I thought that was really funny. I enjoyed that. That was good. Uh, I think Shea Serrano takes credit for that one, but I'm not 100% sure. So the Pistons are 31 and 31. Uh, you would expect them to beat Minnesota and win at least one of the Chicago games, giving them a record of two and one, and making them uh, above 500 when we do this podcast. Hopefully with Ben. Probably with Ben. Ben will be back next week um, and setting them up for a, ooh, that's interesting, a back-to-back with uh, at home, uh, the second game of the Chicago uh, home-and-home is at home, and that's the first game of a back-to-back, and the second game is at Brooklyn. Uh, That's going to be a huge game for potential playoff tiebreakers. I believe the Pistons and the Nets are tied uh, 1-1 in the season series. Uh, A win there would give the Pistons tiebreaker yeah it would give the Pistons the tiebreaker because they do not play Boston uh, again this or Brooklyn excuse me they do not play Brooklyn again this season Uh, if you remember the game the Pistons uh, both those games those games with the Nets came down to the wire Um, they, they beat the Nets in the first game of the season that was the game Joe Harris missed at the buzzer Glenn Robinson was defending him and messed up gave Harris an open look that he missed and Blake was like grabbing Glenn and being like yo like you it's like I'm glad we won but like you messed up and you can't do that and like that was like that was the that was a real like insight and like oh like like Blake is serious about this stuff and then the second game uh, I believe it either I think it went to overtime and then uh, Spencer Dinwiddie had his vengeance Uh, he hit another he had a big uh, mid-range shot uh, over Andre Drummond to uh, to seal the game for the Nets, and so uh, I expect a close game. I expect a good game. With two days off after this Toronto game, um, I hope the Pistons are able to give Blake some needed rest in the coming weeks. I don't really. I don't see like a three game split. I don't see a, a three day rest period for Blake anytime soon. And I think you you would hope. To get him one of those rests in the not too distant future, but uh, for now, you know, I think that that'll. Uh, the Pistons are playing well enough where they can definitely be uh, competitive against against uh, any team in the league as they show tonight. All right, uh, that's the podcast, everyone. Uh, I'm Last Jackson. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Last Chance. That's at L A Z C H A N C E. Um, obviously, as you can see, if you tweet me about basketball, I I really value it and I'll talk to you about it. Uh, if it's, if it's worth it, um, this has been the Detroit bad boys podcast, and we will talk to you next week.